Well, good morning. If you don't know, my name is Chapin Jones. I am one of the pastors here, and I am absolutely honored to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. We'll be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. If you're about three-fourths of the way through your Bible, you just see Matthew and Mark, Luke, John, Mark chapter 4. This morning, I want to give you a small glimpse, a window perhaps, to see a little bit about my marriage. If you didn't know, I am married to Mandy. Uh, She was just carrying out the screaming one-year-old. But we've been together for a little over eight years and been married for a little over five years, which is a pretty big deal for me. I'm, I'm glad that we've been together for so long. I would say that Mandy knows me very, very well. She probably knows me better than anyone else in this world. She knows me so well that she even knows when I'm not listening to her. It doesn't matter the time, the place. If it's on the phone, in the car, on the couch, or in the bedroom, she has this sixth sense when her words are falling off my ears. Maybe it is my blank stare at times, or I'll pull one of them like, "Mm mm-hmm, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she immediately knows that I'm not listening. And then rightfully, Mandy, she will say, Chapin, are you even listening to me right now? And then in our short amount of time of being together, I have learned that saying, I wasn't realizing that you were talking to me is not a good enough excuse. It's not. So every time I fail to listen to my wife, she rightfully points it out to me, and I am immediately humbled. I mean, I should, as her husband, listen to the words that she says because they are important. I need to do better. Now, wives in here, you probably like, ah, yeah, you just described my husband as well. But, you know, all joking aside, it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're single, if you're young, if you're old. We all struggle with this idea of listening. Oftentimes when we fail to listen well, there's some kind of consequence. Think about school. Teacher says, hey, you gotta do the homework assignment on page 18. You did the homework assignment on page 17. You got a good zero. You failed to listen. The boss tells you, hey, call this customer back. They are angry. You failed to call the customer back and now there's a complaint against your job. When we fail to listen, there is consequence. What we'll see in our passage this morning is that when we fail to listen, there will be an eternal consequence. Jesus, he's going to give us a parable, and in this parable, Jesus will call us to actively listen and receive his word. It all comes down to this one question. Has the gospel taken root in your heart? Has the gospel taken root in your heart? So with that being said, our main point that we'll see here this morning is this. Abundant joy and life is given when we listen and receive the word of God. Abundant joy and life is given when we listen and receive the word of God. So if you found Mark chapter four, I wanna invite you, will you stand with me as we read God's word together this morning? 
And we stand in the reading of God's word for we want to realize and recognize this is his word, him speaking directly to us this morning, starting in chapter four, and we'll go all the way down to verse 20. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat, sat, it, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And he said, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And then they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and is proved unfruitful. But those that were sown in good soil are those the one who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Church, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, praise be to God. You may be seated. So we've made it through three chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and we've already learned a myriad of truths about this Jesus guy. One of the major emphasis Mark has been playing out for us is to show us that Jesus is a king. That is why we are in the Gospel of Mark. For us to see that Jesus is the rightful king over our lives and should be the rightful king over our heart. But as we know all too well, the world will say otherwise. Culture will say, you don't need Jesus. You just need more power. You need more money. You need more success. You need more relationships. But what Mark has been showing us so far in these first three chapters is that you don't need what the world says. You just need Jesus. You need a savior. You need a king. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. So now we're here in chapter four, and really what we're going to see is Jesus is primarily going to just be doing these parables. He's going to be teaching, 
And all these parables are geared to this one idea, the kingdom of God. So we we need to know, what is a parable? Simply, a parable is just a comparison. A parable, uh, Jesus, a parable from Jesus is a uh, earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. An earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. One, One commentator says it this way about the parables of Christ. That his parables are not simply good advice. They are good news. They're simply not good advice. They are good news. So with that being said, let's see how this parable can be good news for us this morning. In our first point, point one, spread the word. Spread the word. So here in verse one, we get a little bit of the setting of kind of where is Jesus teaching these parables. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. There was a crowd that began to swarm Jesus. So Jesus, he got into a boat and began to teach. This has been already a pretty common theme for Jesus. We've seen more often than not already in these three chapters that the crowd has become more of an obstacle than an aid to Jesus' ministry. But Jesus, he's not going to pass up the opportunity to teach. So he hops in the boat and begins giving these parables. Now, what I want us to really pay attention to, though, is how Jesus starts his teaching. Look at verse 3. Listen. As he stands on that boat and to the crowd, he says, listen. Like before a mentor speaks to his mentee, like a parent will speak before their child, listen. Listen to what I am about to tell you about this sower. Verse three, behold, a sower went out to sow. So here Jesus, he is using this parable of a farmer going out to sow seed. Now I'll be the first one to admit, I don't know much about farming and sowing seeds. Uh, Earlier this week, Mandy asked me, hey, what are you preaching on? And I told her, ironically, the parable of the sowers. And what's ironic is that about a month ago, I bought a plant And this plant was designed to be low maintenance. Like all you need to do is water it once a week and it needs a little bit of sunlight and it will survive and thrive. Guys, I have gave it a little bit of water, a little bit of sunlight, and it is not surviving and thriving. It is dying. So like this idea of the parable of the sower is just not meshing with me. But one thing I do know about farming is that farming is hard. It's hard work. It requires time. And sweat, right? Requires long days. And the farmer does this with the hope of producing some kind of fruit, some kind of yield. So this analogy of a farmer going out and sowing seed, that the crowd that Jesus is speaking to, they knew exactly what Jesus is talking about. For them to survive, they need to know a farmer or be a farmer themselves. But what's going to confuse the crowd is how the farmer sows his seed. Jesus will give four types of soil the farmer will sow in. And here, the first soil is there in verse four. He sowed some seed that fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Now, now that just seems careless of the farmer, doesn't it? Farmer, why do you want to sow seeds along the path? Birds easily come and take the seed. Then in the second soil, 
the farmer goes out in verse five, other seeds fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Again, I can imagine the crowd being confused, like farmer, why are you wasting seed on the rocky ground? Again, I don't know much about farming, but you need good soil for the root system to grow and for it to, to, to live and to thrive. And when you plant seeds with no soil, it will die. And then thirdly, the third soil, look at verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. So just like the path, the rocky soil, and now the thorns, all these are futile attempts of the farmer to try to produce fruit. They all failed. But then we get to verse 8. Finally, the farmer kind of figured it out, it seems. The farmer planted seeds into good soil. Good soil, producing grain, increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and a 100-fold. So yes, the crowd would have been confused. Why on earth is this farmer sowing so much seed in three out of the four areas that won't work? But what makes this parable even more crazier for those listening is the result of the good soil. Man, they would never have heard of a farmer going to sow seed and receiving a 30 times or a 60 or even a 100 time return. But that is what Jesus is saying what happened to this farmer. So that's the parable. That's the parable we're looking at this morning. And then notice, do you remember how Jesus began the parable? Listen, notice how he bookends, how he ends his parable. Look at verse nine with me. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, he began his parable in verse three and now ends in verse nine with the command to listen. He is pleading with the crowd as he's teaching from this boat to listen. Do not let this parable come in one ear and then out the other, but to listen and to heed to this parable. See, the problem with the crowd, the problem with the crowd is that they had this issue of seeing. They bottled everything that they knew and could figure out about Jesus in what they could see Jesus do. They're all about wanting to see these miracles, see the the cool and neat things that Jesus has done. But what they were failing to do was to listen to what Jesus was teaching. So Mark in his gospel, he's going to kind of give us a weird transition now. We just had this parable. Jesus is calling us to listen to it. But instead of going straight into explaining it, Mark's going to insert a conversation with him and his disciples. It will feel kind of out of place. So just keep the parable in the back of your mind as we go through this conversation with Jesus and the disciples. Let's look at our second point. Listen to the word. Listen to the word. Look at verse 10 with me. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Now, now, did you notice the shift of context now? Jesus was on the boat teaching to a crowd, and now Jesus is alone with his disciples. So why on earth is Mark inserting the conversation here now? Well, if you have your Bibles open at chapter 4, just zoom out with me. 
If you look, there's a bunch of little headings before your verses, and a lot of those headings are different parables. What we see Jesus do as he's on this boat, he's going to give a series of parables, teaching, and they're all going to be pointed to one truth, one theme, the theme of the kingdom of God. So Mark seems it's going to be helpful for us to go ahead and get the understanding of these parables. Now as we read through the rest of chapter 4, we can have a better understanding, a better clarity of what Jesus is actually teaching. So, so that's why Mark's kind of interrupting the, Jesus' flow of teaching of parables on the sea. So let's look at this conversation. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. To you, now he's talking to his disciples again. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So, so this is a conversation Jesus is having with his disciples, and he's using this idea of insider and outsider language. This idea of those who are on the inside and outside will be a common theme as we go through the Gospel of Mark. So, so just put that one in the back of your mind. So here in verse 11, we see Jesus first referred to those who are inside, the insiders. And there in verse 11, he says, those who are inside to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking about those who have faith in Christ, those who believe in him. Those are the ones who are on the inside, who has received this secret, has been given this secret. And then there are those on the outside. Verse 11 again, but for those on the outside, everything is in parables. See, these are those who do not have faith in Christ. Those are on the outside. Those who, are, uh, who don't believe in Christ. See, those on the outside, they are missing a vital piece of information to understand these parables. For Jesus says that, that those on the inside has been given a secret to the kingdom of God. See, those on the outside would assume that God's kingdom was an external kingdom. A kingdom designed to drive out the Romans, to usher in a new world order, to bring Israel back to their proper place of rule and reign. But only those on the inside of the kingdom, those who have been given this secret, knows that is not what the kingdom is all about. See, those on the outside, those who don't have faith, they can do all things to try to unlock this secret they can hire the best detectives. They can try to obtain this knowledge by going to the finest Ivy League professors. They can try to buy this knowledge with the greatest amount of world treasures. But this, notice, notice how Jesus says it. This knowledge, this secret is only given. You don't obtain it. You don't work for it. You don't pay for it. You don't discover it. It is given to you by Christ. So now as Jesus, he sits with his disciples and he's telling them, guys, you have been given this knowledge, this secret to understanding the kingdom of God. Why? Because you have faith in me. This is in big contrast to the crowd and the religious leaders, isn't it? For they hear of Jesus' teaching 
And when they hear of these parables, they can only perceive them as that what they are, stories, parables. That's why when we did our scripture reading in Isaiah 6, that is what Jesus is quoting here in our text. So in, in some sovereign way, God, in, in, in the most beautiful way, found a way to use parables to conceal the kingdom of God to those who are on the outside, but yet reveal the kingdom of God through these parables to those who are on the inside. Well, you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Why would God speak in parables? Why won't he just speak straight to the point? That sounds more easier. That seems more clear. Well, first I'll say, well, Jesus is clear and was clear. But again, if we just go back to the chapter 3, we see uh, that Jesus um, uh, did speak very clearly and he was easily rejected. If we just go back to chapter 2, remember what happens with the paralytic? The paralytic is lowered down from the roof and then Jesus looks at the man that's lying on the floor on this mat and says, my son, because of your faith, your sins have been forgiven And if you remember, the religious leaders that were there watching this, what did they do? They began questioning in their heart. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. They rejected Jesus. When Jesus was teaching about uh, fasting and the Sabbath, It wasn't about how well you fasted or how well you Sabbath, but he taught that it was about how well you loved God. The religious leaders had an uproar and began to have a plot to kill Jesus. And then just there in our last text in chapter three, what did we see? Jesus' own family was calling him crazy. And then the religious leaders came up with the conclusion, well, this man must be possessed by Satan himself. So Jesus did speak clearly, and when he spoke not in parables, people still rejected him. So Jesus, as he teaches in parables, they are going to miss the true meaning, for they will hear but not understand. They will listen but not perceive. But notice something. Notice that this knowledge does not remain a secret. Because look at verse 12 lest they should turn and be forgiven. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, this knowledge of obtaining and to receive the secret of the kingdom of God, it doesn't have to remain a secret for you. But yet if you turn from your sin, if you repent and put your faith in Christ, you too then will be receiving this knowledge of the kingdom of God. So church, may we listen to the words of Christ here. We live in a world where we can get all the information, all the knowledge just at the touch of our fingertips. We can go to Google, we can go to the world's greatest library and we can search and scour the internet. And, but there is one piece of information that Google will never be able to give you and that is the secret to the kingdom of God. It is only given to you by Christ in faith in him. So church, I want to ask you this question. Are you listening? Are you listening? 
Jesus' teaching here is calling you and me to turn from our sins this morning and put our faith in him. By rejecting this, by not listening, we remain in darkness, blinded to the kingdom of God. So every single parable that Jesus lays out here in chapter four is pointing to that reality, helping us see the beautiful truths of the kingdom of God. So now we're going back into our parable. All right, let's look at that together now. Point three, point three, receive the word, receive the word. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. So Jesus, he begins to interpret this parable by saying, the sower sows the word. See, as the farmer sows the seed, the sower must sow the word. What is the word? That's the gospel. The gospel message, that is the message that Jesus, he came to save sinners. He did this by dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins, taking the wrath of God three days later, resurrecting into new life so that for all of those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ will be saved. That gospel message is the message that must be sown. And how do you sow that message? Is by the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. So anyone who professes Christ is a sower. A sower of the word. There's this popular Christian phrase that has circled around the Christian circle, I don't know for how long, but I've heard it, maybe you've heard it as well um, before. It goes like this, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Uh, I, I, I like that quote like halfway. If you can halfway like something. Like, yes and amen. Like, let's love people well. And let's do good things for the glory of God well with our actions. But the question remains is how do you sow the seed? As what Jesus is helping us to see here is that you sowed the seed by proclaiming that gospel message. You sow the word by the voice of proclamation. As Paul reminds us in Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And then what's Paul's solution? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? For someone to hear of the glory of God, they must hear the word being preached. The gospel must be faithfully preached for seeds to be sown. When we fail to understand the gospel, we fail to sow seeds. If you're a member here at Sunbury City Church, let me say that again. If you're a member here at Sunbury City Church, you have a very important role. That role is to protect the proclamation of the gospel. It is your responsibility as a member to protect what is being proclaimed and to be vigilant of what people hear and receive for it is only the gospel that will bring life. 
So just like the farmer in the parable that sows seeds everywhere, he does this actively, right? With the hopes of attaining fruit. So, so we too must go and spread the seed everywhere and actively. We must not show any kind of partiality to who we sow these seeds to. Our neighbors, our children, our co-workers, we must not assume that they are bad soil, but proclaim the gospel, spread the gospel. So, so let's kind of put things in categories as we finish out this parable here. So first we got the sower. That's the one proclaiming the gospel. The seed, that is the gospel. And then lastly, what we have is the soil. That is for those who receive what is going out. And notice, as we walk through these four soils briefly, notice that there's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the seed. But what the issue is, is the soil the one who receives the seed. So let's look at that first soil. This first soil will go on to say that there will be some who will reject the gospel right away. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Some will hear the word They'll hear the gospel being preached and proclaimed and then their response will be, Jesus is not my answer. Instead of listening and receiving the word, the word goes in one ear and then out the other. And notice, notice the, the, what's happening. Look at, look at verse 15 again. It is Satan that comes along and takes away the message from the heart. See, there, there's, there's many people and you might be here this morning that, that is proud to reject Jesus, that's proud to reject the gospel, that they're proud to admit that Jesus is not for them. And they think that it's from their own power and that their own, their own understanding that they're choosing not to follow Christ. But what Jesus is saying here, that is actually the work of Satan who immediately comes and takes the word from them. Church, when we sow the seed of the gospel, hear this warning. It is and will be a spiritual battle. When we sow the word, when we preach the gospel, we are going against the prince of the power of this world. We're going against the one who is the great deceiver, the liar. Satan is on the hunt when the seed of the word of God is being sown. He is the bird waiting to devour and snatch it away from people's hearts. So ultimately, the rejection of God's word, the rejection of the gospel, is the one who has been darkened by the demonic power of Satan. As I was meditating over that soil this week, I was just praying, Lord, what does Satan use today to snatch the word? To snatch the word from people's hearts. And I'm sure there's a plethora of things that we could put here, but there's one word, it just kept coming and coming and coming. That word is distraction. Distraction. We are 
such distracted people. We get distracted over our circumstances, over sports, and probably, honestly, the biggest one, our phones. Just distracted people. For when we are distracted, the word just falls right off our heart. I mean, how easy is it? I mean, as we preach, you know, 40 minutes, 45, sometimes an hour long, to, to, to check the cell phone to check that notification, to check that email. And as that word is being proclaimed, our eyes are glued to the phone and it's just bouncing. Like our heart is a path. I heard one preacher say it this way, that uh, Satan's okay for a non-believer to come to church as long as they have their phone in their hands. For they will be distracted. Church, when we are distracted, we are missing out on gospel truths. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world, that God of this world, you fill it in the blank. Whatever distracts you, whatever you're giving your time, your money, your attention to, whatever in this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of people, keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said it so well. Consider how precious the soul must be where both God and devil fight over it. Second soil, look at verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. Church, this is the one who receives the gospel in rocky soil. This is one who hears the word just like the first soil. It goes in one ear and out the other. The difference is it appears though that they received it with joy. But when life challenges when life's persecutions come away and come up, they will fall away. This is someone who has assumed that the word, that God, that following Jesus is a life of rainbows and butterflies. They have bought the lie that there's this thing called comfortable Christianity. There's a, a false teaching that, that is prevalent here in America and really honestly all around the world and it's the prosperity teaching. This teaching promises your best life now. This teaching promises health and wealth now. It promises comfortable Christianity where Jesus does not call us to comfortable Christianity but he calls us to a life of suffering. In his very own words, Matthew 16, 24, you've heard this one before. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is calling us to a life of death. Not comfortable. You may be here this morning and and you profess Christ before and you're wondering, is it worth it? you begin to put the puzzle pieces together and you realize that life has been more challenging since following Christ. 
you've realized that you've had more suffering in your time of following Christ than you have in your entire life. My prayer for you this morning is that you will hold fast to Christ. Do not be like the rocky soil that received the word with joy and then fall away. Don't be that. Hold fast to Christ as the author of Hebrews so beautifully reminds us that we're on this race of life. The finish line is glory, church. The finish line is the kingdom of God. And the way that we persevere to the end, the way that we persevere through life's challenges, through life's suffering, is to look to him who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Hold fast to Christ. Yes, the race of life is hard. Yes, the race of life is challenging. But don't be the rocky soil. Persevere to the end and be with him in glory. Receive the word and hold on to it. The third soil. Look at verse 18 and 19. Then other ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I'm gonna use this analogy for you this morning. Uh, we, if you don't know where we live, we live right there behind Papa John's off the strip. And we have, when we moved to our house just a couple years ago, uh, the owners before us had this beautiful flower bush uh, planted at our house. I don't know what it is, but it is beautiful purples and whites and pinks, and they always start blooming during this time of the year. So I remember the first year, like, man, what a beautiful bush that is. Last year, I remember, like, man, what a, what a beautiful work of God's creation that is. Beautiful. But towards the end of last year, when fall was creeping in, I noticed a thorn bush begin to sprout within the flower. So I was cutting grass this week, and as I was going around the house, I saw that once beautiful pink and purple flower bush. I began to realize it was dead. And in replace of it is a massive thorn bush. That thorn bush took all the nutrients. It took all the soil and began to give life to itself. That's what Jesus is saying here. That there will be those who hear the word of God and they will receive it. They will receive the beauty of the gospel but begin to compromise it with the world's message. Notice the thorns that Jesus describes there in, in our text in verses 18 and 19. These common thorns that can compromise the gospel message. One, cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of the world. Those who receive the word in this soil, the thorns have compromised the gospel. Instead of the finish line being the kingdom of God, they move the finish line to the here and now. This is a very common tactic that Satan uses. When Satan can convince us to take good things and make them the ultimate things. Look, having a family and the American dream is a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. Having a well-paying job is a good thing, but it is not the ultimate thing. 
Fill in the blank. Having good things are not bad things. But when good things compromises the beauty of the ultimate thing, which is the gospel, that is a thorn. What is compromising the gospel for you this morning? And then lastly, fourthly, verse 20, the fourth soil. But those that were sown on good soil. Oh, amen, right? Those were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundred fold this is the good soil this is the one who receives the word of God it went in one ear then into their heart and notice the response there is a radical amount of fruit life tribulations and persecutions don't deter them the desires of this world will not distract them but they are bearing an abundance amount of fruit for the gospel It is the bearing of the fruit that marks one who has listened and received the word of God. As Jesus says in John 15, 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. Church, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Christians bear fruit and they bear an abundance amount of fruit. Notice the difference between the good soil and the bad soil. Those sown on the path, if you see, they hear the word. Those sown on the rocky soil, they hear the word. Those sown in the thorns, they hear the word. But those sown in good soil, they are the ones who hear. This is a continual hearing of the word of God in their life as fruit is being bared. They hear the word, who receive the gospel, and who bear fruit. But we know that listening and receiving the word of God is much easier said than done. I I just want to share one way that the Lord convicted me this week as I was studying. Uh, About a month ago, I went to the movies with a couple of my friends. Nothing wrong going to the movies, except you spend a ton of money. Spend a ton of money going to the movies. Spend a ton of money on snacks and drinks. And I remember, as I was going to the movies, I invested myself for this two-hour-long movie. I I bought the, the popcorn. I went to the restroom beforehand so I didn't miss one piece of the plot. I silenced my cell phone, and I sat there for two and a half hours glued to this movie. And as I was thinking, how convicting should I be? How convicting is it that I can take all these steps, all these precautions to watch a movie with no eternal significance? But I don't even silence my phone when I'm studying the word. I'm at home studying, my phone goes ding, checking it. Listen to a preacher, ding, watching it. Church, listening to the word of God is a spiritual battle. We must actively fight to hear. It is God's word that we should live our lives out of. For there's much abundance of life and joy waiting to be found. So my question for us this morning as we come to a close is very simple. 
It'll probably be the easiest question you hear all day, but the way you answer it will have the most eternal significance of your life. And the question is this, what soil are you? How have you received the word of God? Has God's word this morning just bounced off your heart? Has God's word just come to you and then been compromised by life's trials or life's desires? Or has the word come to you as you are bearing much and rich gospel fruit? Let today be the day that you listen and receive the word of God. Church, let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Father, may we look at this parable and see the warning that it gives. The warning of being bad soil. Father, may we flee from the path, the rocks and the thorns. Father, may our hearts be good soil for your kingdom and for your glory. Father, do a work, a mighty work in our lives for us to see that the best kind of life that we can have is when the word of God is planted deeply and rooted all throughout our lives and throughout our hearts. God, convict us where we need to be convicted. Give us hope where we need to give where we need hope and give us life where we need life. In your son's name we pray, amen.